Today I want to talk to you about, uh, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about healing the disease of guilt. Healing the disease of guilt. Before I do, I just want to, one more, I want to say one more thing about mothers because mothers are so smart. Mothers are the smartest, uh, they're the smartest of God's creation. I think we can all say amen to that. Come on, ladies. Come on, mamas. Right? You say, how do you know that? How, how does statistics show that? Yeah, this statistic. A little girl asked her mother, mom, how did the human race appear? Where did we come from? The mother answered, well, well, darling, God created Adam and Eve and they had children and their children had children. So we all came from them. Two days later, the little girl asked her father the same question. The father responded, well, many years ago, there were monkeys from which the human race evolved and we all came from them. The confused girl returned to her mother a couple days later and said, Mama, how is it possible that you told me the human race was created by God, but dad told me that we came from monkeys? The mother answered, oh, darling, that's so simple. I shared with you about, uh, I shared with you about my side of the family. He shared with you about his. <laughs> so smart. Mothers, you are so smart and so biblically accurate. And so right and so godly, we honor you today. But, uh, but uh, come on, give him another hand. We just love you so much. Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. We're going to start there. And it says, now, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. And the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. The accuser who accuses them day and night has been cast down or one translation says has been thrown down or has been hurled down. The accuser, the accuser. My gift to you today is this teaching on how God wants us to be healed from the disease of guilt. Being accused continually is what many of us have been subjected to because Satan is a Satan is an accuser. In fact, the word the word devil comes from the it comes from the the Greek word diabolos. And um, everybody who speaks Spanish knows that devil in Spanish is diablo. It comes from the Greek word diabolos, which comes from two words, dia, which which means to penetrate and to 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 to, to, to enter into, which like the diameter of something is where we get the word, is what we get the word diameter from this word dia, which means to penetrate and the word balos, which means to throw at or to hurl accusations at, or to throw something at, in this case, accusations to throw at until it penetrates. So you put these two words together, dia and balos, which is where we get the word ball from, to throw a ball. We get the word ball from balos, which means to throw at, and dia, which means to penetrate. So this is how, this is what, this is what Satan consists of. This is what the devil consists of. He throws accusations at you day and night, day and night, day and night, until he penetrates your soul. And there he releases explosive power through the power of guilt, 
condemnation and accusation. And so if we can attack that guilt today, if we can deal with guilt the way Jesus intended us to, if we can take this, these accusations captive and learn how to overcome the accuser of the brethren and the accusations that come from hell. But isn't it funny? Because if you learn how to overcome these accusations, that's when you're going to walk in such freedom and joy. And nothing robs us of joy more than guilt. Nothing robs us of effectiveness more than guilt. Nothing robs us of peace of mind more than guilt. Nothing makes us more anxious and depressed more than guilt. Guilt is an insidious demonic force that wants to beat you down and beat you up one side and down the other until you start beating yourself up so he can move on to somebody else. That's what Diablo does. That's what Diabolos does. That's what the accuser does. And it's time to throw him down. It says the accuser has been thrown down. He's been thrown down. He's been thrown down. And how has he been thrown down? Look at verse 11. He's been thrown down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they were not in love with their lives. They were in love with Jesus, not their soul life. They were in love with Jesus life, not their life. And that's why that's how they were able to throw down the accuser of the brethren. Jesus threw him down. And now we continue to remind him that he's down and don't let him back up in our heads. Don't let him back up in your business. Don't let him back up in your mind. Don't let him back up in your heart. Don't let him accuse you day and night because that's what he does. But it's time that we learn how to walk in victory over the accusations, the guilt and the condemnation that comes from the pit of hell, comes from Diablo himself. Hey, it's time for us to walk in the joy and the happiness and the peace that comes from living a guilt-free life. I don't know about you, but you know, there's some foods that are advertised sometimes like guilt-free, right? Guilt-free this, guilt-free that, guilt-free sugar, guilt. I want some guilt-free potato chips. How about you? I want some guilt. I want some guilt-free Doritos. I want some, I want, come on now. I want some, I want guilt-free food. I don't want to live in guilt another day in my life. And Jesus doesn't want me to either. And he doesn't want you to either. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Anyone know what it's like to feel accused day and night? Come on now. Don't say, yeah, I'm married to him. Don't say, yeah. I'm. <laughs> Satan can use people too, right? Yes, he does. Somebody, I'm getting, getting one amen back there. Um, but you know what it's like. And the voice of Satan becomes so familiar. The voice of accusation becomes so familiar to us that it actually sounds like we're saying it to ourselves. And it sounds like our voice. Satan disguises himself with our voice until in our minds we are accusing ourselves. And Satan's not even having to do anything about it because you're doing a good enough job by yourself that he doesn't even need to mess with your mind anymore because he's got because he's got you thinking like him. Thoughts like, how about this? You never do enough. You don't say the right things. You don't measure up. You don't get it all done. You don't do enough for your children, for your parents, for others. You don't do as much for others as they do for you. You always seem to blow it when you seem to be making progress. You say things you regret. You get angry too easily. You think bad thoughts. You don't have the right clothes. You eat too much. You don't exercise enough. You don't pray enough. You don't read enough. You don't serve enough. Anybody heard any of those thoughts before? 
And they stop coming in the form of you don't do enough. And they start coming in the form of I don't do enough. I don't measure up. I don't, I don't have the right things. I don't, I'm not good enough. I say things I regret. I get angry easily. And you begin to agree with these accusations until you are so weighed down with guilt that it brings you into actually a place of depression and sadness and ineffectiveness in life. And if we could throw down this guilt once and for all, we could experience real freedom, the freedom Jesus paid for us to have, and we could experience a peace that passes understanding and a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the life that God has for you. God doesn't want you being guilty and beating yourself up about your mistakes, about your past, about what you've done, about what others have done to you. Listen, and Satan is a manipulator and he uses people to manipulate us through guilt. And it's really a form of, really, manipulation is a form of witchcraft. And it's, it's done through guilt. People sell us things with guilt. People get us to apologize through guilt. People get us to do what they want through guilt. And we've got to stop being manipulated by guilt. It's fa- in fact, um, a 13-year-old Girl Scout was asked how she was able to sell 11,000. She broke the record at the time. She sold 11,200 boxes of cookies, Girl Scout cookies. 11,200 boxes of cookies. And they asked her, how were you so successful at selling these cookies? And she said, oh, it's really simple. You got to look them in the eye. When they open the door, you got to look them in the eye and make them feel guilty. (laughs) Because we're so accustomed to feeling guilty because we know how flawed we are, that we allow guilt to control us and we allow guilt to influence our decisions so that we can feel like we've paid for our guilt. But we don't have to pay a cent for our guilt. We don't have to pay a second for our guilt because Jesus already paid for it in its entirety so that we can live a guilt-free life no matter what you feel like, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how far you've fallen short, you can live a life where you're not guilty. And by the way, when you live a life of, of freedom from guilt, you're going to be able to pray with power. Because what keeps, us, what keeps us from being able to pray with authority and power is condemnation. In fact, if you look at this verse in um, first, I think it's 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. It's just, just scripture just came to my mind. Maybe, I, maybe it'll encourage you. Let me share it. 1 um, John chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. For if our heart condemns us, he says God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Verse 21. But if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. Listen to what he says. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. So when you go to God in prayer, I think verse 22 says, then we can ask anything, right? And whatever we ask, we receive from him. But go back to verse 21, where he says, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. So what is he saying? When your heart condemns you, you don't have confidence before God. And you can't ask and receive because you're lacking confidence. And why are you lacking confidence? Because condemnation robs you of confidence. Sin does not rob you of confidence. The condemnation about it does. Mistakes don't rob you of confidence if you understand you're the righteousness of God. Now, I know that there's some religious thinking that has plagued our culture and plagued Christians and churches for years that says, well, no, no, it, it, it's, you can't say that because 
it's sin that, um, that robs us of confidence. Really, because if that's the case, then none of us could ever pray because all of us have sinned. None of us, none of us could ever have confidence because all of us have sinned. He doesn't say if, you're, if, you're, if you have sinned, if you've never sinned, if you don't sin, then you can have confidence towards God. I'm not encouraging you to sin. You understand? Don't, don't sin if you, if you don't have to. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> don't sin if you can help yourself. I don't know how to say it other than I'm not encouraging you to go sin. But, but he's not saying if you don't sin, then you can have confidence toward God. He's saying if your heart doesn't condemn you, then you have confidence towards God. Because even if I fall, even if I fail, even if I stumble, I don't have confidence today because I'm holy. I have confidence today because I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what gives me confidence. And if I fall or stumble, it doesn't change the fact that I'm the righteousness of God. But religious preaching has doomed us to be a byproduct of our behavior. And God wants us to understand our behavior is a byproduct of what we believe. Believe right, live right. Living right is the reflex of believing right. If your heart does not condemn you, then you have confidence before God. So back to Revelation 12 and 10, talking about the accuser of the brethren. Satan wants to accuse you continually. Satan wants to make you feel bad continually. And we make decisions because we feel bad. And we've got to stop making decisions because we feel bad. We've got to stop making decisions to alleviate our guilt. We have to realize Jesus alleviates our guilt through his blood, through his precious, precious blood, not through our behavior. Just like the guy... Like the guy who, um, who, who wrote to the IRS, dear IRS, enclosed you will find my, uh, my money order for $150. You see, I cheated on my taxes, my income tax return. It's a money order, right? I cheated on my income tax return last year and have not been able to sleep ever since. If I still have trouble sleeping, I will send you the rest of what I owe you. <laughs> sincerely, sincerely, a taxpayer. And it's funny how this guy, as, as much of a joke as that is, um, he, he only paid his taxes that he owed because he felt guilty, he felt bad, and he only gave to the degree that it would get his guilt to go away. And we've got to stop giving out of guilt, praying out of guilt, repenting out of guilt, confessing out of guilt. Guilt is not what frees us guilt imprisons us. Jesus does not want you living in guilt. Now you say, well, doesn't a person have to feel guilty in order to, um, in order to change? Doesn't a person have to feel guilty in order to repent? No. The Bible says in Romans chapter two, verse four, it's the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not guilt. Nowhere does the Bible say guilt makes you repent. Nowhere does it say guilt makes you change. Guilt imprisons you. In fact, guilt and feeling bad all the time, feeling accused all the time is, is a force from hell. It's the accuser of the brethren. This, God doesn't use the devil. God, doesn't, God, is, God does not employ the devil. God doesn't pay the devil. The devil is not on our team. The devil is not a part of our staff. The devil is not a part of our, a, a part of our spiritual family. The devil is not a part of God's 
uh, tools that he uses. Now, the, God can take what the devil has done and turn it into something good, but not because he employed the devil, not because he dispatched the devil to do it. Not be, even with Job, Satan, God didn't say, okay, Job, go ahead and do Oh, He didn't say, okay, Satan, go ahead and, and smite Job. He said, he's always been under your power. You have the power to do whatever you want to do to him. He wasn't under the new covenant blessing of Job was not under the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus had not yet been shed in this earth. So Satan was always in control of Job's life. Um, but it was Satan that smote Job. It was Satan that attacked Job. It was not, it was not God that said, Hey, Satan, go do this for me to teach Job a lesson. God doesn't use the devil. God can transform what he's done to you and turn it into something good. But that's not He's, but God is not the accuser and God does not use guilt to get you to change. He uses kindness. He kills you with kindness and he doesn't really kill you, but you understand the figure of speech. So we got to get a hold of this folks. Why do people feel guilty? Because of our past, because we make promises that we don't end up keeping because we're not living up to our standards because we're not living up to other standards. We're not living up to God's standards. So we feel guilty or we owe someone something that, that, that we can't pay. So we feel guilty. Um, you know, the best thing you can do if you ever want to end a relationship is loan somebody money. Because <laughs> as soon as you loan it to them and they can't pay you, they will disappear from your life. So if you ever want to get rid of somebody, just loan them money. But people feel guilty over that. And people say something in anger that they later regret. So we feel guilty about that. We feel guilty about being overweight. We feel guilty when we look at the scale. You know what? There's one simple solution to that. Get rid of your scale. You, make, you feel guilty because you, you don't finish your list. You feel guilty because you're not spending enough time with your children. Or you think you're not or you're not praying enough, or you're not reading your Bible enough, or when you're reading the Bi your Bible, the devil's telling you to pray more. And when you start praying more, the devil tells you to read the Bible more. When you're doing one, you feel guilty about not doing the other. Or maybe you feel guilty because you have a messy house, not doing enough for your children, not finishing what you start, not taking enough time for yourself. We gotta realize these things, these things Satan uses, these normal, natural things, none of us truly measure up to the perfect standard that we want to measure up to. And so we have to accept that we are humans. We have to accept that we are not flaw, flawless. We have to accept that we are going to make mistakes. We have shortcomings. It's not an excuse for them, but it's a reality that each, of, each and every one of us live in. And we can't be free from guilt by being perfect. There's only one way to be free from guilt. Here it is. Are you well, I'm going to show you three things to do to put an end to it. But I'm going to show you the path is right here. It starts right here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. And I want to read this to you from the New Living Translation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us go, right? Paul, the, the writer of, or the writer of Hebrews, we believe is Paul the apostle, but he says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty conscience has been sprinkled clean. Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Notice what he says. Our, our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood
to make us clean. He doesn't say our guilty consciences have been sprinkled by our confession to make us clean. He doesn't say our confession makes us clean. He doesn't say our apology makes us clean. Listen, he doesn't say that our holiness makes us clean. He doesn't say that our good works make us clean. I'm not saying that we should live unholy. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do good works. But none of those things cleanse you from a guilty conscience. He says only one thing cleanses, cleanses us from a guilty conscience. The blood of Jesus Christ. And listen, he only died once and he's never going to die again. He only died once for all so that he never has to die again. And he sprinkles us with his blood. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm into sprinklers that get the job done. How about you? So sometimes we think of sprinkling us with his blood sort of like, you know, like an infant baptism. You know, you just kind of dab the, dab the kid's head with a few, few sprinkles of water. Uh-uh-uh. No, 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 no. How many have ever seen one of those sprinklers? You know those sprinklers that go like this? And man, they, can, they will rip your feet right out from under you. you the, if you get real close to them, you know those things that go... Those things are powerful. And those sprinklers, man, they will peel the paint off the wall. They will, they will cleanse the wall, the color right off of your wall. And that's how, that's what I want you to envision. I don't want you to envision one of those summertime, you know, sprinklers like this, you know, the rainbow sprinklers that you kind of jump in, right? And you jump through and it gets you really cold and you just jump right over it. You know, not the rainbow sprinkler. That ain't a real sprinkler. No, no, no. We weren't cleansed with some rainbow sprinkler. We were cleansed with this. Until it peels all the sin right off of you and peels all the condemnation and all the guilt and all the shame and all your regrets and all of your mistakes and all of your shortcomings and all that's left is you washed by the blood of the Lamb, washed by the precious blood of Jesus, and no longer have to live with a guilty conscience ever again. I don't care what you've done. It is over. It is washed. You have been cleansed. The blood of Jesus is more powerful. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you say you've done that's very powerful. Well, I cheated. I smoked. I drank. I, I killed. I did this. I did that. Let me tell you something. As bad as those things are, as powerful as those things are to condemn you forever, Jesus' blood is more powerful and it justifies you forever. It cleanses you forever and it makes you free from guilt forever. We have to stop thinking that our guilt somehow makes us feel better. It doesn't. Temporarily, when you go, oh yeah, I feel guilty, I feel guilty, you feel really bad because here's what happens. Parents have taught us, some, some, some of us have had upbringings where our parents have taught us incorrectly by shaming us for doing something wrong until we feel bad enough for them to stop punishing us. Well, do you feel bad about it? Yes, I feel really bad about it. How bad do you feel about it? I don't, I'm sorry, mommy. I'm sorry, daddy. I don't ever want to do it again. What they're saying is they don't ever want to be punished like that again. It's not that they're not going to do it again. They're going to do it again. They're going to do it again, right? (laughs) They're going to do it again. 
Every one of us, if we've raised children, every one of you know, even if you made your child feel really bad, which is wrong to make your child feel bad about what they've done, it's wrong to use guilt because what ends up happening is now they, they live the rest of their life feeling like they have to feel bad in order, to, in order for life not to punish them because when they felt bad enough, it saved them from the punishment. And that is guilt. That is manipulation. That is shame. And that's not how God raises his kids. That's not how God does things. You don't have to live in this guilt. You don't have to live in this condemnation. You don't have to pay the price. The price has already been paid. It's been paid in the blood of Jesus. I'm convinced that multitudes of people in our world, in our churches, in our cities, are suffering from this sickness called guilt. It's a disease called guilt. And Christian people wear guilt like a heavy coat. Everywhere they go, they just feel so guilty. Uh, listen, a Christian lady tells, told of a conversation she had with a fellow student while the two of them were studying in college at Berkeley University in California. And she was a Christian, but the guy she was talking to wasn't. And he knew she was a Christian and he made it painfully clear that he had no interest in her faith. When she asked why, why don't you want to become a Christian? Why don't you want to follow Jesus? He said this. He said, because the most guilt-ridden people I know are Christians. No thanks. Listen, folks. Christians are the best at feeling guilty and putting guilt on people. And we got to stop it. We got to stop feeling it. We got to stop believing it. And we got to stop passing it on. Because the world is not going to come to Jesus because they feel guilty. They feel guilty without Jesus. People feel guilty without Jesus. He didn't come to bring guilt. He bore our guilt. He took our shame so that we, did not, we would not have to be imprisoned by it any longer because guilt keeps you right where you are at. And, and, then, and if you deny it, that keeps you right where you're at. Denial is, is you giving yourself permission to stay the same when you deny that you've done anything wrong. We're not saying that we've never done anything wrong. We're saying by the blood of Jesus, he declares us not guilty. We have done plenty of things wrong and we might do some things wrong today, but Jesus still declares us not guilty. Why is that so important? Because if your heart does not condemn you, then you have confidence before God. Are you still with me today? So many people that maybe today you're struggling with a sexual sin from your past. Maybe you're struggling with something you did where you cheated on something. Maybe you're struggling with, with a lie that you told. Maybe you're struggling and you say, well, I can never get past this until I feel bad long enough. And you know what? There's only one person that, that can could ever and should ever feel bad for what you've done. And that's Jesus. He felt so bad. He took it on the cross and nailed it to the cross. It does not honor God for you to live in guilt. It honors God, it honors God for you to trade your guilt and shame for the gift of righteousness. That's what honors God. It honors God for you to believe in his sprinkling blood. 
And the closer you get to that sprinkler, man, the more it hurts because it's peeling stuff off of you. Not that the blood of Jesus hurts, but it does peel our sin off of us and cleanse us forever from all unrighteousness. And listen, this is how we have to live guilt-free. Guilt-free, folks. You don't have to live in guilt another day of your life. We just, but we carry it everywhere we go. There's a little poem that goes like this. It says, no torturers, the poet's feign, can match that fierce, unutterable pain he feels who day and night, devoid of rest, carries his own accuser within his breast. That's what guilt is. Do you struggle with guilt? Are you dealing with something right now that is just burying you? Unless you bury it, but you got to realize even if you bury it, it's still there. Or it buries you and it's still there. But when Jesus was buried, he left it there. And we need to die with him and rise with him in newness of life by simply putting our faith in his blood to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Not you doing something right to outdo your guilt. Not you being, feeling bad long enough to get rid of your guilt. Not you feeling shame long enough to get rid of the shame, but you trading your shame for righteousness. Trading your guilt for having, for justification, being just, you're justified. Because look, everybody needs to feel relieved of guilt and you'll either temporarily cover guilt with excuses or receive God's grace and completely be liberated from guilt forever. Nothing seems to rob us of our purpose more than guilt and shame. Nothing robs us of happiness and joy more than guilt and shame. We feel the guilt of what we've done, what others have done to us. If you've been abused, you feel guilty about that. When you, do, when you, you notice how Satan works and how Satan accuses you, you didn't even do it. Now, it's one thing that he accuses you of things you have done, and Jesus cleanses you from that guilt. But then he accuses you of things others have done to you. And so you can see how demonic it really is in those instances when it's not your fault. Even when it is your fault, he cleanses you from all that guilt. But when it's not your fault, Satan still is the accuser. And he wants you to feel like it's your fault anyway. And we got to stop living in whose fault it is and start realizing Jesus took all of our faults, all of our sins, all of our shame and all of our guilt and nailed it to the cross. And then when Pilate was sentencing Jesus, when Pontius Pilate was sentencing Jesus, he spoke prophetically over everyone who belongs to Christ when he said, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Do you know, he said that to give us a picture of how God, see Pontius Pilate was in authority of the world at that time under Herod. And the authority said, I find no fault in him. So we need to realize that's what our authority, our heavenly father says about us. Now that Jesus, who they found no fault in him, he took our faults and he took our sins and he took our guilt and he took our shame. And prophetically that he that was in authority said, I find no fault in him as a picture of how God in his authority says about you, I find no fault in them. The, the problem with the old covenant versus the new covenant is the old covenant found fault in us, but the new covenant finds no fault in us. The new covenant says, and your sins and your iniquities, 
I will remember no more. So if God doesn't remember them, why are we remembering them? Why are we reminding each other of them? Why are we reminding ourselves of them? Why are we letting the devil remind us of them when God doesn't even remember? God doesn't even remember what you did. He says in, he says in Hebrews, he says in, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, and your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. Now, I don't know how else to tell you that. I don't know how else to interpret that other than he has plumb forgotten all your unrighteousness, all your sins, all your lawless deeds. God has forgotten them because why? They have been stripped and washed away. If you strip paint off a wall, that means that paint no longer exists. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. And that's what sin is in Christ It doesn't exist anymore. You're no longer in sin. You're in Christ. If you've been born again, listen, listen. If we could be, if we could rid ourselves of this guilt today, which Jesus already rid us of, but we need to just agree with him and identify only with our innocence, only with the blood of Jesus that washes us and makes us new. We got to stop walking around guilty and weighed down. And this is how depression works. Now I can't speak for all depression, but as far as spiritual and emotional depression, I can speak to that because I have a little bit of understanding of it because of the scripture. And I have a little bit of understanding of it because of how I've had to deal with it in my own life. But I will say this, that what makes us depressed is sometimes anger over what we've done wrong. We get angry on average of 20 times a day. Most of us on average, 20 times a day. And if we believe our anger is bad, which most of us do, what do we do? We keep it inside. And it takes so much energy to keep that anger bottled up that we get tired from all the effort of trying to keep the anger bottled up. And since we're not using our energy to go after the things that God has given to us, we, we, we use all our effort to bottle up our anger. And, and, and the tiredness and the losses add up to make us feel hopeless, lethargic, irritable and sad. That's the exact definition of depression. And it comes from the anger that we feel about ourselves from the guilt that we feel. Guilt makes us angry and then makes us depressed. And because guilty feelings are the building blocks of depression, guilty feelings, you want to, you want to have an antidepressant, go back to that scripture we went over in Hebrews where it says you've been sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience, from a guilty conscience. You don't have to punish yourself anymore. You don't have to punish yourself anymore. You know that scripture in um, Romans chapter 7, verse 19? Remember that scripture? I'll read it to you from the English Standard Version. Remember when he says, for I do not do the good that I want, but I end up doing the evil that I don't want to do. I keep on doing it. And what, what he's really talking about here is a guilt sandwich. So here's what happens. When you don't do the good that you want to do, you feel guilty. And then when you feel guilty, you end up doing the evil that you don't want to do. It's not, we don't do evil because we're evil. We do evil because evil is a byproduct of guilt. And so if we can deal with guilt, the evil behavior will begin to dissipate from our lives, diminish from our lives. 
But he says, so this guilt sandwich is we, we don't do what we want to do. We know the right thing to do. And we don't end up doing it. So we feel bad about not doing the right thing. And by feeling bad and feeling guilty about not doing the right thing, we end up doing the wrong things. This is exactly what he's saying. And then he goes on to say in verse 24 of Romans chapter seven, who will deliver me? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, he tells us who will deliver him. He said, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying only Jesus can deliver us. And watch how he does it. There is therefore now, verse 1, he goes on to say chapter 8, verse 1, which is the very next verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a continued thought from verse 24 and 25 and verse 19. He said, look, let me tell you how to be free from guilt. You just have to understand your location. Location, location, location. You are in Christ Jesus and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Forget about what you've done and realize where you're located. You are in Christ Jesus. Stop worrying about where you've been or where you're going. You know, when you go to the mall, anybody been to the mall lately? Maybe not lately, but how many... 20 years ago, I used to go there, right? Come on. And when you go to the mall and you don't know where the store is, if it's a big mall, what do you do? You go up to the big map and the directory of the map. And you know what? You're not even looking for the store. You know the first place you're looking for? The little arrow that says you are here. Because you know what? If you can discover where you are, then it is easy to get to the destination. But there is nothing worse. You know what? It's funny. Those maps are so funny because all the stores are really in small letters and code. You know, 39A, 42B, right? It's all code and it's all written really little. But then the biggest thing on there is the little dot or the little arrow that says you are here. Because frankly, that's the most important thing. Because there's nothing worse than a map that shows where everything is, but you don't know where you are in respect to where everything else is. But once you know where you are, it puts everything in perspective. You know exactly how to get there. You know exactly where you're going. And what we need, we need that little map. Come on now. We need that little map in our head telling us who we are in Christ. You are in Christ, reminding us continually. You're in Christ. 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 Because remember our key scripture all year from the beginning of the year was Ephesians 1.11 in the Message Bible. Ephesians 1.11, look at what it says. For it is in Christ. It is where? It is where? In Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. So first secret or key to getting out of this guilt trap is location, location, location. Where are you located? Find yourself. Where are you? In Christ. And, and listen, let me tell you something. Any other way of finding yourself will leave you miserable, depressed, lonely, sad, and purposeless. Only in Christ will you find out who you are and what you're living for. Nothing else and nobody else. Only in Christ. Location, location, location. This is the first way to tear down that stronghold of guilt. The second way is that we must change the way we see ourselves. We got to change the way we see ourselves. Notice what I didn't say. We don't need to change ourselves to stop feeling guilty. We need to change how we see ourselves. How we see ourselves. 
You know, if you look in the mirror right now and look yourself in the eye, but you don't like the person that you're looking at, there's only one thing to do. Get a facelift. No, just kidding. (laughs) I might get one. I'm thinking about it anyway. uh, Just playing with you. Um, If you miss me for a couple weeks, you know where I am, though. And I come back like this. And I talk like this. You'll know where I've been. All right. Just don't make fun of me if that ever happens. All right. Maybe when I'm in my... 50s. All right. Um, (laughs) There's only one thing to do. If you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, you know what you need to do? Forgive yourself. Because there's something, there's nothing that God made you to like yourself, but Satan's accusing you and trying to convince you that the shape of your ears is got to change before you can be happy or the shape of your nose or the shape of your jaw or the whatever. And he's trying to tell you what the world's standard of beauty is. And what you need to do is realize that there's something in you that feels guilty about who you are, about what you've done or shame about who you are. You either feel guilt or you feel shame. And that's what's telling you. That's what's making you um, not like yourself. It's not that you, it's not that you're not pretty enough or good looking enough, you say, well, I'm not like that person. But no, it's because you feel bad about something. Maybe you feel bad because you're comparing yourself to somebody else rather than looking at the person that God loves so much that he created you and died for you so that he could have a relationship with you. And if the prince of the world, the prince of the universe and the king of kings and the Lord of lords wants to be with you, that means you are beautiful, valuable, amazing to him. And he doesn't want to ever miss out on having an intimate relationship with you. So you know what? You need, to let, you need to let go of guilt and forgive yourself so that you can start loving yourself the way God loves you. And let me tell you something, you know, because what we have to realize is that guilt is a greater sickness than cancer, disease, paralysis, or any of those things. Listen, when Jesus healed that boy, remember when the friends brought him to the house, they couldn't get in, so they lowered him through the roof. And, and I'll, I'll let you go in just a minute, but they lowered him through the roof and they put him in front of Jesus. And the first thing Jesus said, look, he was paralyzed. And the first thing Jesus said was not, son, you're healed. He said, son, your sins are forgiven to you. They're forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven. Why did he say your sins are forgiven? Because he knew that what would keep, what would, what would keep this guy in bondage more than his paralysis what would paralyze him more was guilt. Mm. All right. And so he wanted to free him from guilt first and then healing. Then the kid receiving healing would be easy if he could receive the forgiveness. Forgiveness from guilt is the, is the gateway to all of God's power. Number one, number one, you got to know your location, location, location is in Christ and there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Number two, you got to change the way you see yourself and love yourself and forgive yourself. And number three, we got to pull down the stronghold. We got to pull down this stronghold of guilt with God's word. And let me show you, let me close with this. Romans chapter eight, verse 32. We're still in Romans, you know, and think about this verse. He who did not spare his own son, but, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? And I always wondered, 
Why does the next verse say what the next verse says? This verse is talking about, in verse 32, he's talking about all that God has given us freely, freely, freely. With Jesus, he's given us all things freely. What an awesome promise. Freely. He freely gives us all things. He freely gave us Jesus. He freely gives us all things. But there's something inside of us, this guilt-ridden mentality that we say, I don't deserve it, but it's free. Uh, I, I haven't earned it, but it's free. Uh, I, I, don't, I haven't done enough to get, to get all these things. But Jesus, he's telling us it's free. You don't have to do anything except receive it. But Satan's accusing you. Every time God gives a promise, Satan gives an accusation. So God says freely, freely he gives you all things, but your mind is being accused. Well, you don't deserve it and you can't have it and you haven't done enough and look at what you've done. Look at how you failed. And so that's why Paul, the apostle, combats what he knows comes after this. When you hear a message about how free everything is, the devil begins to accuse you saying, well, it, it, maybe somebody else deserves it for free, but you better earn it. You better work for it. And you know what? You lost your chance at it. All those are lies from the pit of hell. And that's why the very next verse says in 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one that condemns? It is Christ Jesus who died and rose from the dead and is even sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. So you don't have to be condemned another day in your life no matter what you've done, no matter how much the devil tries to accuse you and tell you you don't deserve it, you're not worthy of God's blessing. They're free in Christ. And no matter how much guilt you are feeling, Jesus is saying, here's how you respond to that guilt. You say, you say, verse 33, say it again. This is what we need to say. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? That's why he said, what shall we say to these things? We should say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of God? What shall we say to these things? Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. And nothing can condemn me and make me feel guilty another day in my life. Unless I let it. Unless I let it. Unless I let it.